The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at lifehousechurch.org. My name is Dan Bradshaw. As a kid, um, my dad was a worship leader. I was expected to be there every Sunday and we were expected to be there every Sunday and it almost felt forced on me. Um, and I kind of kind of got disconnected um, in high school when, when everybody does, you know, high school is high school. Spending my teen years in Chambersburg, you know, there's, there's a lot to get involved in and it, it's not always positive. You know, I, I ran with the wrong crowd. I got a lot of trouble. I've been kicked out of every establishment I've ever been to, private school, public school, high school, rehab, boot camp, you name it. I've been there and I've been kicked out of there. You know, when I, when I finally became an adult, uh, I turned 18, I moved out. I was like, all right, I got it, I'm out. And uh, I met this girl, we dated for a little while, um, and the, the relationship was just toxic. It was abusive, it was drug-oriented, there was just just a lot of not good things going on. We ended up splitting up after after a pretty big, pretty big blow up, and uh, I said, that's it. My, my life was just dark. It was just, there was nothing good coming out of what I was doing. There was no fruition, there was no fruit, there was no no goodness at all. It was just turmoil is really the best word for it. And I tried to replace it with people, alcohol, drugs, and, and none of it ever really mattered. None of it ever really fulfilled me. It was, it was, it was an instant gratitude, absolutely. But when I laid my head down at night and stared at the ceiling, it was still those same negative thoughts and still those same things coming back. And I was like, when was the last time you talked to God? It had been years. And I, I, never, I never really thought about going back to church or maybe that was the whole, maybe that was the difference. And all I had to do was pray. All I had to do was ask God, what is going on? Why is my life like this? How can I change this? Where in your life would you say, there's just no way? Where in your life, maybe you would say, there's no way out. You're going a certain way and you can't find a way out or you're on a way and you can't seem to find a way out of that mess. You can't find a way through, you can't find a way out, you just maybe feel stuck in this certain way. And uh, that way for every one of us often can lead us into a wilderness season where we're vulnerable, we're in trouble, we're maybe even stuck making decisions. And as a result, we go, man, there's no way, there's no way out of this. And so during this season and during this sermon series, The Way Through, I'm going to invite you into a new and different way. And so if you would, uh, join me. I want, I want to invite you onto a journey with us over these next 30 days. But right now, I want to invite you on a journey. I want you to see something that Laura and I got the privilege of seeing. Uh, we, we had the honor of going to, uh, to Italy and in Rome, and we would, wanted to see the catacombs. And uh, we, so we went to um, the catacombs of San Callisto, or San Callisto. And so it's interesting. Uh, these are the catacombs where, you know, you go back centuries and centuries. You know, go back to the 200s and 300s and 400s, where Christians would go underground and gather and worship. And it's interesting. Um, when you go there... 
you kind of feel like you're going back in time. In fact, I think, I think we have a photo for you, um, I think, uh, where you can kind of see the steps of the catacombs. Maybe not. Um, it's all right. It is behind me? Okay, so what you're, what you're seeing is uh, the, the steps going down. And what I felt like is as I was taking every step, I felt like you were stepping back like a century. So you're like, you know, you're going backward in time. And the deeper you go, the further back in time you're going until, you know, finally you get down to that kind of the floors. And, and again, you don't need the whole history lesson. But the reason why they were able to do this actually is the, the rock is easy to dig. But once you open it up, it really hardens, which is how they were able to chip it away and dig it, but then it wouldn't collapse. So what, what they would do is they would use this as ancient burial ground. So the Christians who wanted to bury their dead, which is altogether different from what um, the Romans would do, and so the Christians are burying their dead, they would bury them underground, and then when the persecution broke out, they would go to these underground chambers that they dug, and they would gather for prayer, they would gather for worship, and so what you see is, so here's, here's the steps of us, and then kind of where it opens up, if you guys want to just show the next picture, um, this is kind of what it feels like walking through them, and these are the places where they would bury their dead. And then, and what you would see as you would kind of, spaces would open up, is a lot of drawings on the wall. And so maybe you guys show the next picture where you kind of see, this is some of the pictures on the walls, uh, and really ornate drawings. Some of them were over like large uh, areas where they would bury several people, maybe like in an open room where there were several um, shelves where they buried people. And on the, on the ceiling part or on some of the walls, they'd have really ornate, complex drawings. Some of them mosaics where they would uh, draw on tiles and they would they would make art out of it. And in these drawings, you would see things like this, the, uh, the Cairo, they would have the Cairo, which is the letters of uh, Jesus Christ. And so it was a way for them to like, it was almost like having a, a presentation of the gospel all over the walls. And so Cairo, they had the ichthus, which many of you, you see like even Christians today will have the fish. Well, the fish, the, the name ichthus, uh, which is Greek, right? Uh, and, and it's the initials of Jesus Christ's son, uh, Savior. And so it was a reminder for them every time they would see the fish, reminded of ichthus, and it was just, it was a, um, a way to remember who Jesus is in their life. And another uh, part of the art that you would often see in these earliest drawings was uh, the Good Shepherd. Because while we have a lot of different images of Jesus, one of the most meaningful for them was Jesus as the Good Shepherd, as someone who tended to them, cared for them. And so a lot of the drawings in the, in the tomb areas were often of Jesus, the Good Shepherd. So you'd see pictures of him with like a, a, a lamb on his shoulders or Jesus tending to a flock with a staff in his hand. And, it, and here, here's why I bring this to you and why I want to invite you into almost seeing what we saw. It, it felt like going underground and going back to the earliest centuries. We were going back to like a different way. A way through what they suffered through. Because, you know, they were underground in worship and prayer because they were being treated so horribly. So there was a way, they found a way through persecution and suffering. They found a way through the threats. There's a, and, and then when you begin to think about the, what they practiced, what they did, they, they gathered and huddled up in prayer. They gathered and they huddled up in worship. They, they gathered and huddled up and they quoted scriptures. They remembered the teachings of the apostles and they found a way through the hurt and the hate 
temptations and mistreatment and the troubles in the world around them. And I just thought, man, if in the year 2021, if we begin to practice this ancient way, which has become so foreign to so many of us, maybe we could recover this way and it would give us a way through so much of what we're going through. And so I'm going to, that's what I really want to invite you to do throughout this sermon series, to invite you on a way through, which is really going back to the way that Christians have worshipped for thousands of years, in, or for at least almost 2,000 years. Um, in, in fact, before Christianity was ever called Christianity, it was called the way the way of Jesus. And so that's what I want to do. I want to invite you during this journey. If you've ever said there's no way or there's no way out, I want to invite you into a way through, which is the way of Jesus. And so throughout the series, I'm going to be bringing you different places where Jesus went and how he brought up, how he got through and how he invites us to get through. And the first one I want to bring you to is Jesus in the wilderness. Now, I want to set this up by, the, by who wrote it. Luke uh, is a phys- was a physician. He was highly educated. He never met Jesus, but he met people who met Jesus. And when he met them, he was so intrigued. He was so captivated by them and the story of Jesus and the way they live life, their way that he began to investigate the person of Jesus, became persuaded that Jesus is who he said he was, and he became a follower of the way of Jesus, this guy Luke. And so he writes an account of a life and story of Jesus from what he investigated and learned from people who knew Jesus. And he's writing to other people who were like him, Greeks, who were pagans, who worshipped a lot of gods, and they worshipped the legends of the gods. But there's something interesting about Luke and those that were like him, right? These Greeks, here's the deal. When you think about Greek mythology, God was either far away, their gods, right, are either far away and distant, or their gods are no different than everybody else. they, they, They come down to earth, and they do things, and they act a lot like bad people. And so in, a Greek, in, in the Greek's mind, gods are either far away or they're no different than us. And Luke hears about Jesus who comes down to be with us, but doesn't act like us. And that really captured Luke. And so he's one of the few authors that really pulls from, this, from the life of Jesus and teaches us Jesus' way through the wilderness. Now to think about the wilderness... The wilderness is like the pandemic season, when you feel most vulnerable, most frustrated, most suffering. It's the season of your life when you just, you look around, you go, man, there is no way. There's no way out. There's no way through. So Jesus goes into the wilderness. In fact, we're going to jump in. This is Luke's writing. He, he records this in Luke chapter four. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. So God is leading him. He left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, in Israel, when you you see in Israel the wilderness, you're talking about like mountainous desert. I mean, it is barren mountain wasteland. It is really in a foreboding environment where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. I mean, imagine you spend 40 days out in the blazing heat of the day and then the cold of the night, 
miserable desert, and the whole time, the devil himself is harassing you. That's what Jesus went through for 40 days, and he ate nothing during these days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. You think? And the devil said to him, so now the devil's been harassing him and tempting him for, for 40 days, and now it's at the end of this time, and he's super hungry, and the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And so he's baiting him. He's trying to, he's trying to lure J Jesus to use his supernatural power to do something he shouldn't do. To, to feed himself using his power to nurture a, a deep need in him. And that's, that's what the enemy does, right? The enemy opens up the tackle box, I think, and goes looking for a lure that he can use while you're in the wilderness to bait you in to destroy you. And that's what, that's what the, uh, the enemy of Jesus is doing in the setting. I, you know, what the enemy will do is he'll grab the rod. I hope I can actually do this. I kind of thought I was setting this all up great, and now I feel like I made a mess of this. This is what happens when you just kind of, oh, no. All right, I don't know if I can do this. I thought I could, but now I'm not sure. Are you guys with me online? All right, we're going to try here. Never mind. I think that's for another day. Gonna, oh, wait, here we go. All right, I got some. All right. So this is just for fun because I figure why not, right? So watch out, those of you that are in the middle section. Here, here's the first thing I want you to know. The end, you know, you go, when you go fishing, it's really, you know, you have these really cute pictures of little kids fishing in a bucket, right? There's no fish in the bucket. So you have to go fishing where the fish will bite. And that's the first thing the enemy will do in your life. This is what, this is what the enemy of, of Jesus does. He goes, and he goes looking for Jesus when Jesus is most vulnerable. Alone, hungry, isolated, tired in the desert. And he goes and looks for you where you are most vulnerable. And often, it's in the wilderness. When you are hungry, when you're angry, when you're lonely, when you're tired, when you're stressed. And he'll kind of just, you know, he'll just... Go out there and, I don't know, let's see, hopefully, oh no, I have no idea where that just went. Did I get you? Awesome. And you know, he'll just, <laughs> the enemy just starts casting and he, he's just going to try to reel you in. We're going to see what happens here. I, I think I got it. I did, I, I almost snagged somebody's eye and their glasses and really our church needs some financial resources. And so I figured, you know, you can't go wrong. You just, whoever y'all grabbing your wallets, you know, and whoa, no, I think I got you. All right. We're going to leave that there. He, he, here's what the enemy does. He goes out in the wilderness and he's looking for where the fish will bite. Now you would think, right? We go fishing in ponds, we go fishing in lakes, but people bite in the wilderness. And then, and then what the enemy does is he goes and he, he tries to find different lures. Now the thing about the lures that the enemy of your soul uses is he tries to use whatever you'll bite at. And what, what he uses is what Jesus and other authors call sin. Sin, which is a rejection of God's best to do what feels best. Here's the thing about sin. Sin is really a simple, a, way, a simple way of understanding it is meeting an, a, an appropriate need in an inappropriate way. It was, Jesus had an appropriate need. He was hungry. But the enemy was trying to get him to use supernatural power to meet his hunger in a moment when he was supposed to be fasting. 
And so the enemy comes along and he's casting the bait. And hey, if that doesn't work, you know what the enemy of your soul will do? He'll just go find another one. And he'll go, well, if that doesn't work, let's try this. And if that doesn't work, he'll just reach in his tackle box and, you know, who knows, he'll pull out a worm. He'll pull whatever, whatever you'll bite at. In fact, that's really what you get in the next couple of verses. Uh, the enemy just keeps putting different tackle on the hook. The devil led him to the, a high place and showed him in an instant all of the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all authority. What did Jesus come for? To, to rule as king over the whole world. To, to pay the sacrifice, to give his life, to rescue mankind from their sins. The hook that snared every one of us. To give his life to pay the penalty for our sins, to give us new life so that he can rule in peace as a king over our hearts so that every one of us will be part of his kingdom. And the enemy says, I'll give it all to you. All authority, all and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you will worship me, it will be yours. The only thing you have to do is just bow down, worship me, and I'll give you what you want. So he tries that out and he goes, hey, let's try this bait. Maybe it'll work. And so what he's really appealing to in this moment, so the first one was the lust of the eye. You see something and you want it because you think it'll make you feel better. And this one is the, it's the lust of the flesh. It's these deep desires we have, desires for meaning, desire for purpose, why we're even here on earth. And he just gives you a quick way to get there. And then finally, uh, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the high, highest point of the temple. And he said, if, if you are the son of God, you notice that what he does is in this moment of temptation, he challenges his identity. He goes, if you're the son of God, he gets him questioning. And maybe this is a little bit of a, of, um, you know, a way of playing on Jesus to try to say, why don't you prove to me that you really are the son of God? See, he goes, he said, throw yourself down from here. And here, here's what will happen. For it is written, he will command, God will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. And they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Why is it a temptation? He's, he's appealing to the pride of life. That, hey, you can, you know, if you jump off this temple and you start falling and the angels scoop you up, won't it be obvious to everyone that you really are the son of God? You'll, I mean, it, what, a, what a show. And the point was this. Jesus showed up to show us a way through the wilderness of temptation. When you are vulnerable, when you're weak, Jesus shows up and he shows us a way through. The key when you think about the example of Jesus is this, let me give you some principles that you can leverage, you can use in your life, and then I'm gonna kind of unpack it and explain it to you. The, the, the key is this, go against your instinct. All right, your instinct, when you see that bait, when you see the, the lure flashing, I don't know why I keep grabbing this one, this one just looks like fun. Um, your instinct is to bite. And when your instinct is to bite, you gotta go against your instinct. Another way of saying it is, when you're tempted, make good decisions by going against what feels good. That's it. That's the key to overcoming temptation. Now you know, right? If only it were that easy. If it were that easy, we would, I wouldn't even be preaching it because y'all would have aced it. But most of you, if not all of you, know the sharp pain of a hook in your mouth. In fact, 
every one of us bit the bait and it's set deep and it's dragging you to destruction. And the enemy's goal is to devour you, to devour you for all eternity. In fact, that's exactly what sin does. Sin baits us, then we bite, then it sets deep, and it begins to drag us to our destruction and forever judgment. And there's no way through, and there's no way out except Jesus. So let's talk about Jesus. Jesus comes in, and he doesn't just pull the hook out of our mouth. He takes the barbs and every hook on himself. And he, lets, he, he gives the enemy of our soul permission to unleash all of the judgment and all of the suffering we deserve because of sin, and he takes it on himself. He absorbs our eternal death sentence. He absorbs the shame and the guilt that drags us to our ruin. And when Jesus died, he died once for all. He paid the ultimate penalty for all of our eternal death sentence. So that when we believe in Jesus by faith, we're, I'm not going to put this thing too close to my face. We're forgiven, hook removed. Not only are we forgiven, guilt and shame are removed. He removes the eternal death sentence that this is dragging us toward. I mean, he frees us, right? He loosens the grip. He frees us from being dragged to our ruin in eternity. Jesus not only died, he rose from the dead. And in his resurrection, he, he liberates us from the power of sin. And he offers us eternal life to replace eternal judgment. So that when you and I believe in Jesus by faith, we're not, we're not only forgiven, but we're given that new and forever life. And if right now you're living your life and you know there's no way or there's no way out, I can assure you there is a way through in Jesus. Jesus is the way through and he made a way for you. So you don't have to try harder. You don't have to fight against that desire to bite the bait. You don't have to try to free yourself from the bait because we're never going to get loose from the hook of sin and judgment. The only way through is Jesus. Would you make that commitment right now? Would you say yes to Jesus by faith? Believe in him, allow him to forgive you and give you new and forever life. And if that's the commitment you're making, would you simply text us? Let us know. And as you text us, what we're going to do is we're going to follow up with you quick just to give you some tools as you begin this new journey through faith in Jesus Christ. You can text Jesus, the name Jesus, and there's the number on the screen. When you make this commitment to faith in Jesus Christ, he forgives and gives you new life changes everything. He makes a way through, through the wilderness, through the temptations, through the, the lure of Satan that's out to destroy you. And he changes everything about your life. In fact, he certainly changed everything for Dan. And so we invited him to share a little bit more of his story. And so check this out. I haven't prayed in years. And I thought, you know what? Now would be a good time. And I just bowed my head. I said, look, Lord, I, I'm not, I'm not going to chase nothing. I'm not going to do nothing. I'm not going to chase no girls. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be anybody other than you want me to be. And <laughs> four days later, I met my wife. I, I was presented 
with this answer, basically, of, okay, you said you're not going to chase anybody. You want somebody to put it, be put in your life. Well, here you go. What are you going to do with it? And pretty much from that moment right there, I thought, okay, I got, I got to make something of my life. I got to be responsible. I got to move forward. <laughs> Two months later, we were pregnant. And uh, I was like, wow, okay, here we go. Life's happening and uh, we got to get into it. So, you know, nine months go along. We're doing everything we can to prep. The minute I saw my daughter, I knew something had to be different. And we were like, what are we, what are we doing about our lives? What are we doing about us? Not just preparing for this baby, but preparing for life in general. You know, so we decided, okay, well, let's just go to a Christian church and see what happens. So we went to one, you know, the people were there. It was a big church. It was always hopping, but we didn't feel connected. We didn't feel like anybody even knew that we were there. Brandy found a post for Lifehouse on Facebook. She was like, we should check this place out. So one weekend we stayed home and we streamed it. The first time I ever heard Patrick talk, man, I was like, all right, I'm on board with this. We felt like we were home. And that's, that's what Lifehouse has become to us. Is a, it's a home away from home. These people are our family. You know, this place is, is a safe haven. We can come here and we can talk to anybody about anything and bring any troubles we want to the table because we know ultimately we're not gonna be judged. As soon as I got into Lifehouse, I wanted to get involved. I didn't care how. I, don't, I didn't care if I was on cafe, first impressions, tech team, worship team, if I was pushing around a daggone parking lot bin, because that's what I did. I just wanted to be involved. I wanted to be a part of the team. I just, I'm, I'm forever thankful for, for where God has led me and the road he's put me on, how I can, how I can just be me and I don't have to act like anybody. I don't have to, to show off for anybody. I can just show up to church, praise Jesus, share and show the love of Jesus and go on about my week and, and, and spread his word, man. And, and that's ultimately what, what we're called to do through this COVID season. It's just been a rock. It's him, him being that sword and that shield that I know no matter what I go up against, I got God on my side. And me and Brandy say that all the time. God's got us. There's no question. And you know, now, now that I have God in my life, I, I wouldn't want it any other way, man. Those of you joining online, you can give Dan a shout out. We're grateful to have him here and just celebrating how God can make a way through, through our wilderness. Right through the seasons when we said, there's no way. I can't even find my way. And then you turn to Jesus and he becomes the way. And so what is the way that Jesus offered for us to get out of our troubles, out of our bad decisions, out of constantly being baited to bite the very things that will destroy us and wreck us and drag us to our ruin. And so what I wanna do is I wanna give you some really practical um, principles that you can apply when you feel like you're in a way and there's no way out. When you, when you find yourself in the wilderness, maybe, maybe this past year has been a wilderness season for you and you've been, you know, you find yourself making bad decisions because, you know, there's no way out. And so I want to invite you to follow the way of Jesus. 
So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to go to how Jesus responded when he was hungry 40 days in the wilderness, and, this, and Satan comes along to tempt him using the lust of, the, of his eye, right? Like he sees something and he wants it because it would make him feel better. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. There it is. That's all you got to say. I know, you're like, I don't know. I don't know if when I'm struggling with my appetites that that's the key. Here's the principle. When your instinct says, I want, choose God's best as best. That's a mouthful, right? So maybe screenshot it, maybe write it down, maybe quickly type that in. When your instinct says, I want, and really the key here is, I want to feel better. Choose God's best as best. That's what Jesus did. Jesus said, um, the food that I need to eat is the best kind of food, and that is God's word. That's the only thing that will really make me feel better. So what does the enemy do? The enemy grabs the pole, and he goes fishing for you, and what he's really trying to do is he's trying to leverage your weakest appetite, and he's trying to use that appetite so that you will, when you give into it, it will make you feel better. And so each of us have a different appetite that makes us feel better. So for some of you, you're just, if you are, you're going to actually eat. And every time you eat, it's like comfort food. And it just makes you feel better. Others, you give into less uh, lust, or you use sex, or you use laziness or entertainment as a tool, as a, a way to numb what you're going through. And when you eat it, when you bite the bait, it makes you feel better. Here's the thing about bait. <laughs> The enemy will dangle whatever bait will work to get you to bite because he'll appeal to that appetite in you that is weak. And he tries to trick you into believing that when you bite the bait, you'll feel better. And you do feel better for a moment until the hook sets. Every one of us have bit the bait and it felt good until the hook set. And then he's got you. And then he starts dragging you. And then the guilt and the shame and the destruction and the ruin comes after. And so here's the key. (laughs) What makes you feel better is never what's best. God's best doesn't have to bait you. God's best is waiting for you. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus says, rather than listening to my desires for what will make me feel better, I need to listen to God's word to tell me what is best for me. The key to overcoming this drive in me to give into my appetite, to bite the bait of this will make me feel better, is that I, it's not just resisting, right? It's actually filling my mouth. It's satisfying that appetite with what is best. It's choosing God's best rather than something that will make me feel better. And so you have to get into a pattern, a habit of resisting the bait by eating regularly from what will satisfy your soul. The challenge with giving into appetites is the enemy will try to trick you into telling you that this bait can do something it was never meant to do. Food, which is naturally good for you, right? Not all foods are good for you, right? But you have a natural good appetite to eat food. But that appetite was never meant to satisfy the soul. 
It was never meant to comfort you in your greatest personal pain. It wasn't meant to pull you out of depression. It wasn't meant to make you feel better when there's a breakup, right? We're, we're trying to use food to do something it was never meant to do. We're trying to use drugs or alcohol or a relationship or sex to do something it was never meant to do. And that's what sin does. It, help, it tries to trick you into meeting an, a, an appropriate need in an inappropriate way. And so you have to resist that by saying, you don't know what's best. God knows what's best. Let me give you the next one. So here we go. The next temptation of Jesus is this, right? Uh, Satan uh, is trying to tempt him to shortcut God's plan for his life, right? So he brings him on top of the mountain. He shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, all of this is yours. All the authority, all the splendor. If you'll just bow down to me. And Jesus responds, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. What's the point of this? The enemy was trying to trick Jesus into getting now what would have to come later. He was trying to give him the kingdom without the cross. The key is this. When your instinct wants now, take the long way of obedience. Shortcuts will shortcut God's best. When you cut corners, you are cutting yourself off from character and God's calling. Be careful. The right thing at the wrong time becomes the wrong thing. So you have to have the right thing at the right time for it to be the right thing and God's best in your life. So you have to choose later rather, rather than now. And I, I have taught that principle in a lot of different areas, but I want to reinforce that today to, just to remind you to say, God's best is the long way of obedience. And there is a trick that the enemy does. And so I'm going to give this to you to kind of put it in your mind and keep it, in your, keep it on your attention. You know that it's a trick. You know that the enemy is trying to get you to settle for now when he makes that more important than God. What he does to Jesus is he says, all you got to do is worship me and I'll give you your purpose. I know you want to rule over the kingdoms of the world. You want, you want authority. You want people to bow and worship to you. All you do is bow and worship to me. So the right thing, the wrong way. It's, it's, a, it's, it's trying to get it done quick. It's a shortcut. It's the cutting corners, right? And here's the thing. What he does is he tries to get Jesus to believe that the kingdom is more important than God the Father. So what the enemy will do in your life is they'll try to elevate things or a relationship, a job, an educate, whatever it is that's baiting you, he'll try to elevate that above loving God. And anything that the enemy tries to elevate in your life above loving God is a bait to destroy you. He's trying to get you to worship that rather than worshiping God. And the only response is when he tries to trick you into settling for it now, choose the long way of obedience. And then the final one is this. The third temptation is Satan brings Jesus up onto the top of the temple and he says, just jump off and show off. And everyone will know you're the son of God. And Jesus answered, and it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. This is an appeal to pride. What Jesus did is he recognizes that pride is always testing God's patience. 
You're putting God to the test when you're trying to elevate yourself above God. This isn't just about elevating your purpose or elevating your meaning or elevating a job. It's elevating you above God. When your instinct is to show off, show off God's goodness. When you want to be seen, when you want to get noticed, when you want to be recognized, recognize that as pride. When you're trying to get recognized, when you're trying to get noticed, it's usually the enemy trying to trick you into putting yourself above God. And there's a bait in that. And here's what you discover. You bite and it bites back. You grip it and it grips you. Pride, pride is the most dangerous of all sin because it's the mother sin that spreads into so many other areas of our life. And what Jesus does is he says, you don't put God to the test. Don't put my father to the test. God wants me to point to him. And that's you. When you're tempted to show off, show off God's goodness. You are not here to make a show of yourself in any area of your life, but to make God known. You exist and your greatest meaning and your greatest significance in life is to make much of God and to make God known in and through your life. And so in every area of your life, and when the enemy comes and he's dangling the bait, and he's trying to lure you in, and he's trying to tempt you to show off and kind of make yourself seen and known and get noticed. Remember, what he's trying to do is say, you're more important than God. Your life is about you, and you remind him, and you remind yourself, my life is not about me, but about making much of him. I'm gonna take a moment, I wanna pray over you. Before I do, let me give you a challenge. As we jump into this series, we're inviting you to join in the way through the way of Jesus, a 30-day journey. And you can, you, we're going to give you all the resources, all the tools. We're going to invite you to read the Bible with us on a daily basis, to take some time to pray on a daily basis, to get connected to a, a group, a life group, so you can be, kind of begin this journey with us. And what I want to do is I just want to invite you to go down those catacomb steps into an ancient time, an ancient way, an ancient practice of the way the early Christians just worshiped Jesus and they loved Jesus and they, they loved Jesus together and they lived life together. And that way of, of Jesus was a way through. It was a way through poverty. It was a way through suffering. It was a way through sin. And as you begin to live this way through over the next 30 days, as we head toward Easter, I believe these next 30 days will transform your life. Make a commitment to that. We're going we're to provide a text code for you. We're going to provide resources for you. You can sign up for a texting. You can sign up for an email. We're going to put all the tools on the website. But I, I just want you to make a commitment to living a new and radically different way. And today, as I've challenged you in the way of the wilderness, the way through temptation, would you make a commitment right now to Jesus? Jesus, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that you came and you did it different. You didn't give in to the lie of the enemy that tries to trick us into believing that God doesn't have our best in mind. You didn't believe that. So you resisted Satan and you showed us the way in your perfection, in your goodness, you showed us the way through sin. You show, you show us the way through temptation as we believe in you by faith and, and we, we choose your best rather than what feels better. So right now, God, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? 
And would you lead us through? God, would your spirit guide us and give us wisdom to not only resist sin, but follow your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.